if like this holiday is like a real push for you, if it like all of a sudden, you know, Christ becomes more meaningful to you, uh, I want to encourage you <laughs> to develop a relationship. It's like, it's like a husband and wife who really fall in love on their anniversary every year. <laughs> and the rest of the year is kind of like, nah, who are you? But um, I really would, the meaning is found when it doesn't become that uniquely meaningful. Okay, that's like, ah, now I'm going to remember Christ. I uh, make Christmas every morning, praise God, amen? amen? And develop that relationship. Luke chapter 1, uh, I'm going to read a couple of verses here, and I'm going to read it from the King James Version just because it, it sounds so traditional, and I never read out the King James Version. I normally don't care for the King James Version, uh, the thou's thither withers, you know, and things like that, but it, it sounds more religious and traditional and customary, and we're kind of being real traditional here this morning, and so uh, let's do it. Luke chapter 1. Verse uh, 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. Everybody say forever. Forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Say, shall be no end. Shall, shall be, be no end. Will there ever be an end to that kingdom? No. Good, you're listening. All right. Look at verse 51 of chapter 1. This is, a, this is Mary breaking forth in song um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, de- declaring the significance of what has been promised to her uh, about this whole virgin birth thing. Um, says this, he has shown, God has shown, verse 51, God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree, those who are humble. The proud shall be laid low, she's saying, and the meek shall inherit the earth. Um, God has put down the mighty of their seats and exalted him of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things. And the rich... He has sent away empty, praise God. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Then in chapter 2, the angels singing to the shepherds and declaring the glory of what's happening all around them on this Christmas morning. It says this, And, and suddenly there was with the angel that was talking to these shepherds a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on, per, and on purse, and on earth, peace, good will toward men. Glory to God in the highest, in excelsis Deo. And then John, chapter 18. This one is usually not so closely associated with Christmas, but it is, I assure you, a Christmas verse, as I'll show uh, this morning. This is Jesus just before he's getting crucified. And you don't know the meaning of the birth, unless you look at the meaning of his death. Pilate says, Do you think I am a Jew? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Why am I, why am I accusing you, Pilate's saying? Why, what are you being charged with? Jesus said, this is, what he, this is what he's done. This is why he's being sent up. This is why the people want him crucified. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were... My servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, Pilate says. Jesus answered, You're right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born into the world, to testify of the truth. I am a king. 
but my kingdom is not of this world. And that's what, in the eyes of the people, he did wrong. And that's why he was being crucified. Pray with me here. Father, uh, it's sometimes, for me, more difficult to, um, to, to really worship you uh, or at least understand the full scope of what you came to do. It's more difficult for some of us during this season than other times because of a lot of things that cloud the vision. Uh, some of it, Lord God, is emotional and family stuff, but other things are just about the culture and um, uh, things that dilute and distort the, the, the radical truth of who you are. Lord, I would pray that now during this message, this next half hour, Lord, you'd help burn away whatever dross of the culture and dross of the busyness of the season, whatever is in our mind and in our lives and in our hearts and in our eyes that, that, that it prevents us from seeing the full depth and beauty and power of what uh, the season's supposed to be about, of your birth and of your life and of your resurrection. Lord God, let it be done. Let, let the word go forth with power, Lord. I am so aware that um, a, a nice speech does not change people, Lord, uh, unless it is impregnated by the power of your spirit, Lord God, to just ride with all the content of the kingdom into our minds and into our hearts. So, Lord God, let it be. Let it be. In your name we pray. And all the kingdom people said, Amen. Amen. Well, um, you know, as everybody uh, in uh, the culture and all around us is preparing for the holiday season, and, and you see the look of Christmas on their face and uh, the joy and the peace of the season in their eyes. Am I, is that, <laughs> no, what, 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 what planet are you from? <laughs> oh, but you could really see it this week, couldn't you, watching CNN? Uh, oh, the joy of the season. Um, Here we are heading into the season where the angel proclaims peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And what do we see? Uh, it, you know, if, if you uh, don't watch TV and you don't listen to the radio and you don't read the paper and you've been laying in bed for the last week going, la, 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 I'll tell you what's been going on. <laughs> Our country is really right now in kind of a screwed up situation. Would you agree with me? Uh, uh, it's weird. It's really weird. Uh, this has just been a bizarre bizarre time. In fact, it's been kind of getting bizarre for the last, maybe it's always been bizarre, but it's really been super bizarre for the last year and just weird. Um, so we got a Congress, a, a house that is just set against itself. I, you know, you listen to these, I, I spent some time listening to the speeches yesterday and man, the Democrats out there, and the Republicans out there are going at it and boy, animosity. And then the Democrats walk out and they're protesting this and Whoa, 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 whoa. It, it's, it's a little tense here, folks. And then we've got a, 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 the commander-in-chief is being impeached, even while we're sending these missiles over and bombing Iraq. And some people are for that, and a lot of people are against that, and they're raising questions about the timing of the whole thing and, and the whole wag-the-dog scenario, and there's all sorts of stuff. But all the while, the polls about Clinton keep going up. It's just really wild. Uh, you know, hostilities, and even out there, had a pretty hot topic going out there about Clinton. It's like, ah. I mean, there's people out there who are discussing it, and they're kind of like, how can you be so naive? And it just divides people. <laughs> Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. What are you talking about? Uh, it doesn't feel like that. It's just a weird, weird time. And you wonder, as we're heading into the season, where's the peace on earth? Don't you? It's like, um, I had a friend, not a friend, like I didn't know him very well, but uh, this Jewish rabbi, Orthodox Jewish rabbi, came and would speak to my uh, religion class at Bethel 
on Judaism. And we got into a discussion one time in front of the class about Jesus, and I gave him all the reasons why I think Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the one hoped to, hoped for uh, in the Old Testament, and why he should believe in Jesus, the fulfilled prophecy, the historical evidence, and all that kind of stuff. And finally, he just went, no, 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 it's, it's all irrelevant. I don't have answers. You know what? Why, what am I? I don't know the answers to this. But, uh, but it doesn't matter. And I said, why? Well, then why don't you believe? You know, Isaiah 53, who else could it be talking about? He says, well, it's very simple. When, when the Messiah comes, he's supposed to change the world. He, he's supposed to bring peace on earth. Your own, your own angel said it so. But I don't see peace on earth. What kind of Messiah is this? Uh, you know, he's supposed to come, change the world, make the world the, the, the kingdom of God. But uh, I don't see it anywhere around me. He's got a point, doesn't he not? Yeah, let's think about that. We like to, around at Woodland Hills, ask the hard questions, you know, because truth has nothing to fear. Uh, we don't like to sugarcoat, you know, and, and gloss over things. Um, and uh, we like to look at it, you know, we like to play hardball. <laughs> and uh, what you find, since truth has nothing to fear, is that if you address the, the questions head on, uh, a lot of times you find important truths uh, if, uh, that, that, that await you if you're willing to dig through the hard questions. So the question I want to ask this morning, it'd be nice to kind of give a nice little cliche-ish, color-coded little message here. It's kind of what I think the whole culture does. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Everyone's celebrating peace on earth, goodwill to men. But you've got to ask the question, what are you celebrating? What are you celebrating? Is there peace on earth, goodwill to men? I mean, did it work? Uh, maybe my perception is jaundiced, but it doesn't seem to me, and it didn't seem to my Jewish friend, that things are a whole lot better after Christ came than they were before Christ came. What are we celebrating? What's the angel talking about? In fact, it's kind of ironic, don't you think, that Jesus comes to bring peace on earth, and the first thing that happens as a consequence of his birth is a bunch of babies in Bethlehem get slaughtered. What kind of peace on earth is this? And throughout history, I mean, you, you have to admit that the last 2,000 years have been at least as bloody as the 2,000 years before Christ came. Things haven't improved a whole lot. Where's the peace on earth? A lot of the bloodshed, in fact, has come at the hands of the church, the official church that's supposed to be proclaiming peace on earth. They're putting people to death throughout history. Where's the peace on earth? I mean, if Jesus came to bring peace, uh, it, it, the mission seems to have failed. And if he came to teach us how to live in peace, and this is the stuff that you hear a lot about, you know, you, you go down downtown Dayton's or whatever, and they got little slogans and all that stuff, peace on earth, good will to men. He came to bring us peace, good tidings, and great joy. But where's, where's, the, where's the beef? Where's the, where's the, you know, where's the goods? It didn't seem to work. I'm mixing metaphors all over the place here, but, you know. <laughs> so what? You get the point. You know, it's just, it doesn't seem all that different. If anything, it seems a little bit worse. In fact, if anything, it seems a lot worse. This century, we've killed more people than all previous centuries put together. I should love my Christmas sermons. <laughs> well, I was really in the spirit till this morning. I... Bah, humbug. <laughs> First Scrooge Church, you know, of, of Christmas. Um, but I'm, not try I'm trying to get at the real thing by, you know, looking at the, the, the hard evidence here. We've, we have murdered more people. 200 million people have been murdered in this century alone. That's more than all, all uh, uh, deaths, all murders, uh, in all centuries before this century. 200 million. That's more people have been killed by warfare and through political powers and through just crime. More people have been killed at the hands of other people in this century than were actually alive at the time that Christ lived on earth. You know that? Think about that. Okay, it, 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 things aren't getting all that better. Our prison population has per capita increased fourfold since 1950. We had 200,000 people in prison in 1950. We've got 1.7 million now. 
and the rate is, is uh, skyrocketing. So it doesn't look like things have improved all that much, that things are getting all that better, the, good, the peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Uh, you know, it's hard to find. You can find pockets of it here and there. But it doesn't seem like on a global scale things have changed all that much. Maybe even they're getting a little, little bit worse. And what's this inspired stuff about how he's fed the starving people? I, Mary, you know, yes, he's filled those who are hungry and, and sent the rich away and, and whatever. I, you know, is there any empirical evidence that that is at all accurate? I submit to you that there's no empirical evidence of that. Uh, you know, in North Korea right now, you'd have a hard time convincing them that Christmas meant the end of hunger on the planet. In North Korea, they're starving to death right now. Parts of Russia right now, they're going into the hardest winter they've had in 45 years, and, and uh, they're having trouble getting food up to these northern regions, and it's looking like these people are going to be in serious, serious shape. So the question I'm asking is this, what are we celebrating, and what was the angel talking about? If Christ came to bring peace on earth, goodwill to men, and to feed the hungry, uh, why hasn't it happened? And you can really understand, can't you? The skepticism of my Jewish rabbi friend saying, what kind of Messiah is this? The answer, I, I believe, to, to just let the cat out of the bag a little bit here, and this is what I want to talk about, is to understand the, the, the meaning of the birth. You've got to understand the whole meaning of the mission and the whole meaning of the death. And Jesus says at the end, I mean, what kind of Messiah is this? He's going to get crucified. It's the same kind of question, what, 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 Messiah, what kind of Messiah is this? Look at how he was born and look at the consequence that came from his birth. Uh, the bottom line is this. Jesus tells Pilate when questioned, here's what I did wrong. Here's why I'm being crucified. My kingdom is not of this world. And that's not what people want to hear. In fact, they really turn against you when uh, you say stuff like that. My kingdom is not of this world. Or it could be translated, my kingdom is not of this age. What he's saying there is, my kingdom is not of this fallen world order. My kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. I'm not trying to come up with an alternative competing system here uh, that, that blends in with the rest of the systems that are here. My kingdom is not of this age. It doesn't belong to the natural processes of this world. It doesn't participate in the natural process, processes of this world. My kingdom is about something totally different than that. It's about a kingdom that is still coming. And it runs along a different track. It goes along a different line altogether. But no one thinking in the natural mind can possibly see or understand what this kingdom is about. And that's why they're putting me to death. Christ is a king and he came to change the world, but not at all in the way that the people of the world and the citizens of the kingdom of this world could possibly understand. And what you need to really see here is this. There has always been pressure. It started right with Jesus. And it's been going throughout church history, and it's still very prevalent today, especially around the Christmas season. There's always been pressure on the part of the kingdom of this world to make the kingdom of God part of the kingdom of the world. You want to co-opt the kingdom of God. You want to use it. You want to fit what Jesus is about into what you're about and make him a footnote to your agendas and maybe even use his power to uh, maybe make your life a little bit better. Uh, basically, try to make Christ a footnote to everything else that you're already about. That's co-opting the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us that his kingdom's a radically different kind of a kingdom, but the world doesn't want to hear that. The world doesn't like that. It's an indictment on the world to hear that. So you have Jesus being put to death because he won't participate in the kingdom of this world. And all through his ministry of fineness, people were all trying to make him a Messiah. They wanted him to... You know, they saw his power. Whoa, that's impressive stuff. They saw his ability to heal the blind and, and to heal the deaf. And so immediately they're thinking, well... This could be of great advantage to us. Uh, you know, if he can do that, multiply the loaves and the fishes, think what he could do to those Romans. 
that are, uh, that are you know, oppressing us and, and this wicked political system that we got and these unjust political rules that we got and these unjust political laws that we have. He could overthrow the whole thing. This could be the time when he's going to liberate Israel from the bondage of the Romans. Do it, Jesus. And so when he's marching into Jerusalem, they're all waving the palm branches going, Hosanna, Hosanna, the highest, you know, blessed is he, son of David, military ruler, come rescue us. And they're worshiping him. So he goes in down to Jerusalem, and as soon as he gets arrested, all of a sudden he doesn't look so military. All of a sudden they're scratching their heads going, okay, right now he's going to blow up the place, right? He's going to really kick some Roman behind right about now, okay? And he doesn't do it. Surely he will vanquish them, get rid of Caesar. Surely they will see it. And he doesn't do it. And they start to get mad. Because, see, they had an agenda. They had an agenda that was about here, it was about now, it's about this political system, and Jesus wasn't fitting it. They're trying to fit a, a round peg into a, a triangular space, and it doesn't fit. Because it just won't fit. And then they get mad. So they turn against him. That same crowd that was worshiping him, worshiping him three days later is proclaiming him and saying, crucify him, crucify him, get rid of him. So, Jesus, what did you do wrong? Well, I, I, my kingdom's not of this world. That's why I'm being crucified. My kingdom's not of this world. But the world doesn't get it. So they're constantly trying to take the distinct king with his distinct message and his distinct kingdom and make it a part of their message. The Pharisees were always doing it. They're always trying to get Jesus to bite the bait on the political thing. That was turmoil all over the place. Uh, political turmoil. Everyone's got an opinion. That thing about politics. Everyone's got an opinion on it. Strong opinions. Right here. I bet we could, oh, it'd be fun to just have a brawl. You know, should get a piece of Republican, you know. Next week, maybe. But, uh, so the Pharisees are saying, oh, come on, Jesus, where do you stand? Come on, let, let's get your political savvy here, you know? Because what they want to do is they want to undermine his public support. And so if he can take a stand on a controversial issue, it's going to divide people, you know, and, and that'll be kind of a good thing. So let's hit him with a good one. Ah, uh, well, should we pay taxes to these Romans that are oppressing us and they're ungodly and denying God and all other kinds of stuff? Should we pay taxes? Jesus, being pretty smart, takes, says, give me a coin. Anyone got a coin here? They give him a coin. He looks at it. He goes, whose face is this? I say, well, it's Caesar's, of course. And Jesus responds by saying, must belong to Caesar then. Better give it back to him. Apparently he lost a coin. And what he's saying there is this. I am not going to buy into your game. I'm not going to buy into your questions and not going to become part of your controversy. He's really saying, I could care less how you resolve that issue. I don't, I, you know, if it's Caesar's, give to Caesar what's belonging to Caesar's. But that's not what I'm about. I'm about a totally different kind of thing. The people don't get it. They're constantly trying to co-opt him to overthrow the Roman government. His disciples, even after the resurrection, don't get it. Jesus rises from the dead. You can read about it in Acts chapter 1. He rises from the dead, and th- then they come to him and said, Okay, Jesus, now. Okay, you've really shown your power this time. Woo! We didn't expect that one. This is great. And so they say, Acts chapter 1, Now are you going to set up your kingdom? Now are you going to restore Israel to its proper place? Now are you going to kick Roman behind? This is my paraphrase. Uh, now are you going to finally glorify God by getting a government that is good and righteous and true and can bring peace on earth like the angel promised and feed the hungry like Mary sang. Now is the time. Are you going to do it now? Show off your power. And Jesus says, I am going to show off my power. Stay in Jerusalem and you shall receive power. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You shall receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The kind of power that Jesus is about is kingdom power and he's referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says, when that power comes on you, 
You're not going to be out there carrying swords trying to overthrow the Roman government. You're going to be witnesses unto me. That's, how, that's what my kingdom's about. You're going to be testifying to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the outermost parts of the, uh, of the earth. That's what my kingdom's about. That's the kind of king that I am. You'll receive power, but it's not a power like the kind of power you're expecting, and it doesn't accomplish the kind of things that you're expecting. Why? Because my kingdom is not about this world. One of the things that I think is uh, so impressive about the Gospels is, is, is this, that, that all around him, all around him, there is political turmoil. We know from a lot of different sources that in the first century, uh, Rome, Jerusalem, all that area, it was just a hotbed of politics. We think that we've got troubles now. We think we've got divisions and hostility now. Uh, we've got, well, we're getting there, but, but, but we're not as bad as the Romans were. Man, they had assassinations, and, and uh, you know, we're, we're scandalized by a resignation. You know, it's like, whoa, who expected that? But they had assassinations going on all the time, overthrows, mutinies, all sorts of stuff, political turmoil. Kings getting mad and slaughtering people just to make a point, like Herod did with the babies. They had that kind of authority. Okay, this is not a good political situation. This is uh, looking really ugly. This is really, really bad. And Jesus never once comments on it. Astounding, the silence screams in the Gospels. He doesn't comment on it. He never gives us, you know, and he invited, he had, I'm sure, a lot of occasions sitting around the fire at night with his disciples to comment on it because he asked Matthew, a tax collector, the conservative of conservatives, to be part of his uh, group. And then he invites Simon the Zealot, the liberal of the liberals, uh, together. And they're both sitting around and they're now followers of him. And I'm sure they had some very interesting discussions. But Jesus never comments on it. I mean, this is like, this is like, it's even worse than getting Newt Gingrich and Paul Wellstone together. I mean, picture that. You know, <laughs> What a pleasant time that would be. Um, but here they are. And Jesus never once comments on it. And the reason he doesn't comment on it is because, see, what he's about is something totally, totally different than what that whole world system is about. Some people have asked me in the last uh, five or six months, um, as this soap opera has been unfolding uh, with the president and Monica and Star and... They asked me, in fact, this is how one person put it uh, a couple weeks ago in the visitor's room. Why are you so afraid of standing up and preaching against Clinton and for all the stuff he's done? And why? Well, you know, what are you afraid of? You know, why don't you just take a stand and, and tell people what God thinks about this? He's like, ooh, sassy. Um, <laughs> but see, it's not. It's not a matter of being afraid. I, you know, Woodland Church, uh, it's a pretty open-minded group of people. I bet if I stood up here and I, and I said, uh, you know, I think Clinton is a sleazebag, some of you would go, yeah, and others would go, oh, he's a, you know, he's a ruler. We should, you know, what do you do something? I don't know what, you, what, what, I don't know what your comeback would be. But we're okay with disagreements. You know, there's no rule that you've got to agree with everything the preacher's going to say. And I could sit up here and give you my you know, spiel about what I think about him and whether he should get impeached or not and, and the evidence here and the evidence there. And, you know, I, I could do that. Um, and it's not because I'm, I'm afraid that someone might not like it because I don't think that's an issue too much around here. But the question is this. Why would I want to? Amen? Amen. Frankly, he's not worth it, all right? Um, amen? It, it, it's not worth it. I got a mirror. I, I got 30, 40 minutes of here, and, and uh, uh, why, would I, uh, why would I spend too much time on, on that one? I don't see Jesus 
spending a lot of his kingdom ministry time talking about Nero or Caesar or Augustus and, and boy, he should resign and this person, you know, and, and, and what kind of examples is Nero setting for our children? I mean, no one worried about that in the first century. Now, that stuff you can talk about on the campfire. Simon and, and Matthew, I'm sure, talked about that. But the point is this. It's not what defined the ministry of Jesus and it shouldn't be what defines our ministry. It shouldn't be what defines our basic worldview because the reality is this. The good news that we're about, the good news that we're called to proclaim, the good news that we're supposed to be living and thinking and feeling towards and striving towards has nothing to do with whether Clinton's in office or whether he's out of office. Amen? Amen. It's got nothing to do with whether he's impeached or not impeached or whether the Congress is getting along or not getting along or whether the Senate's going to you know, ratify the impeachment or not. It's got nothing to do with that. What we are about is having a kingdom that can't be touched by the vicissitudes of history. It really doesn't care about those kind of issues much at all. It's going along a totally different track. It's got a totally different kind of agenda. And we need to keep these two things distinct because there's a constant pull, especially in our culture where we've got this myth of the uh, you know, uh, Christian America, the myth of the Christian America. Aren't we all just sort of Christians in one way or another? There's a, there's a tendency to try to fuse the two together, to try to buy into what they were doing with Jesus. Jesus, trying to, trying to co-opt Christianity for a political agenda, to co-opt Christianity, fuse it, to make Christianity sort of a footnote to what the agenda of the world is. But Jesus taught us so clearly, and it's what we need to keep in mind as we're looking at and remembering this king that was born in a stable on Christmas morning, that what he's about and what, therefore what we are to be about is something totally different than what the world is about. Let me lay out here. I, I wrote this down. I, I want to I just um, delineate. It's so crucial that we here in America keep in mind how distinct, how radically distinct the gospel is from all of this mess. And so I want to just kind of delineate the differences between the way the Bible thinks about the kingdom people and the way the Bible thinks about the people of the world, this age, the people who live for the here and now. Jesus is, first of all, a king with a radically different mission than any mission that this world is about. He didn't come to dress up, clean up, decorate, tidy up the systems of the world he came to bring, if we understand it, he came to bring an entire, entire, entire new world order. He didn't come to improve the systems of this world. He was a subversive to all the systems of this world. That's why he got himself crucified. He didn't come to make this life a little nicer. He came to bring new life. Praise God. An entire, entire different heartbeat here. He didn't come to improve the kingdoms and the governments of this world. He came to provide an alternative to all kingdoms of this world. He didn't come to tweak the world system. He came to abolish the world system. And he didn't come to transition people from a relatively unfair form of government to a more fair form of government. That's not what he was about. What he came to do, if we understand it right, what he came to do was to rescue people from the kingdom of darkness and transport them, transition them to the kingdom of light, praise God. That's the kingdom that he's concerned with. He didn't come to make people a little bit better, to make them a little bit sweeter, to make them a little bit nicer once a year around Christmas time with a little twinkle in their eye. That's not what he came to do. What he came to do was nothing less than to create, to found a new human race. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2. He's talking about a totally different kind of ballgame here. He's a king with a radically different kind of a message. He's a king, therefore, who shows forth a radically different kind of life and a radically different kind of birth. Think about this. All earthly kings at the time of Jesus inherited their kingdom from their fathers, but this king doesn't even have an earthly father. Whatever he has, he has from God Almighty, which is why, by the way, that's one of the significant things about the virgin birth. 
Jesus was not of this world. His, his, his uh, political lineage and his political legitimacy had nothing to do with the lineage and legitimacy, uh, legitimacy of this world. Kings are, of this world are born into royalty, but this king was born in a stable with donkeys and horses and cows. It's a sermon I've preached several times about what that was really like. I won't go into it now. Kings are clothed and robed in royalty, but this king was robed in stable rags. Swaddling clothes. It just means rags. Kings sleep in comfort, but this king slept in an animal feeding trough. Kings show their power by conquering others, by controlling others, but this king shows his omnipotent power by being born as a little vulnerable baby and by letting himself get crucified on the cross. What? What kind of king is this? What kind of king is this? What kind of Messiah is this? What kind of majesty is this? What kind of sovereignty is this? You show your sovereignty by getting yourself crucified? What is this? It's, it, it's upside down. It doesn't fit our categories. It doesn't fit our agendas. It doesn't fit the way we ordinarily think about things. Kings always seek to be served, but this king lives to serve. Kings surround themselves with royalty, with elite, with the upper class, the upper echelon of society. Because that's who they deserve to be around. But this king, this king shows forth the beauty of his kingdom by hanging out with a bunch of fishermen, by hanging out with tax collectors, by hanging out with lepers and, and other social outcasts, by hanging around with prostitutes. What kind of a kingdom is this? It doesn't fit any of our categories. It's upside down. It's crazy. It's absurd. Kings are supposed to wear crowns of gold, but this king wears a crown of thorns. Kings win their wars by piercing others, but this king wins his spiritual war by allowing himself to be pierced. Kings of this world win allegiance through intimidation, like we're trying to do. But the king, the king of kings, the king of the kingdom of God, wins allegiance by his self-sacrificial love. The kingdoms of this world, they like to advance by flexing their muscle, by showing off. It's loud. It's ostentatious. The more obvious and the more no noticeable it is, the better. But this king founds a kingdom that goes forward. It's steadily going forward. It's steadily conquering the world. But you never would know it by looking around. It's imperceptible to the natural eye. You've got to even have a faith to see it moving. It's quiet. It's subversive. It's secret. The kingdom of God. It's not found over in this big thing here and over in this big thing here. It's found in hearts as it spreads throughout the world in quiet and in secret. Unless you've got eyes of faith, you'd never recognize the king. Unless you have eyes of faith, you'd never see how the kingdom of God is advancing in the world. He's a king with a different kind of a mission. He's a king that's a different kind of king altogether. And here's what I want us to see. He calls a people who are meant to be as different from the kingdom of the world as he was different from the world. Let it land, Holy Spirit. For example, the world says, and it's understandable that you should have an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The world's concerned with justice and fairness, and isn't that a good cause? Yes, indeed. But the people of the kingdom of God are not that concerned with that. They're called to turn the other cheek when, when, when struck, and they're called not to establish justice, but to establish mercy. Citizens of this world, they will forgive once and maybe twice if they forgive at all, but the citizens of the kingdom of God forgive as often as forgiveness is necessary. They forgive as often as they're asked to forgive, and they forgive even when they're not asked to forgive. They forgive when people accept their forgiveness, and they're called to forgive even when the people don't accept their, their, their forgiveness. It's a totally different kind of kingdom. The citizens of this world look out for number one, but the citizens of the kingdom of God are told to put each other above themselves. The citizens of this world seek to acquire wealth and comfort, but the citizens of the kingdom of God are called to give away their wealth to further the kingdom of God that they're a part of. 
The citizens of this world, they naturally love their, enemy, love their friends and hate their enemies. But the citizens of the kingdom of God who have Jesus Christ living on the inside, they love their enemies in order to try to make them their friends. Praise God. The citizens of this world fight with swords and they trust in force and have no leverage and no concern with regard to the character of the one leading. But the citizens of the kingdom of God, they fight evil with love. And they trust not in this program or that program or this force or that sword or that missile or this voting policy. They trust in the character of their head, Jesus Christ. And might I just say that you never need to worry about accusations being brought against our head, our Savior, our Lord, our one captain, Jesus Christ. He's never going to be impeached. His kingdom reigns forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. The kingdoms of this world seek comfort. The citizens of this world seek comfort to avoid hassles, but the citizens of the kingdom of God, they know that their life is supposed to be a hassle. We're supposed to be storming the gates of hell, finding hell wherever we can, and bringing the kingdom of God to that place, to that person, to that mind, to that heart. Wherever we find strongholds, we're to be tearing them down. The citizens of this world define freedom as the ability to do what you want, when you want, how you want. But the citizens of the kingdom of God, they march to an entirely different drummer because they understand that freedom is about having your heart changed to want what God wants. That's real freedom. Citizens of this world, they have a purpose, and it's about here, and it's now, and it ends with the grave. But the citizens of the kingdom of God, they have their mind set on what is above, on what is eternal, on what never dies, on what lies beyond the grave. And the citizens of this world, they have their hope, and their confidence, their peace, to the degree that they have any hope, to the degree that they have any confidence, and to the degree that they have any peace, they have it in this political ruler or that political ruler, and in this program or in that program, in this government or in that government, in this great idea or in that great idea. And they live in this land of, as soon as we can get our program in, boy, then the world will be better. And as soon as we get this government established, boy, then our kingdom will be better. And as soon as we have this revolution, boy, then the world will be better. And they chase after utopian dreams, uh, this, that, and the other thing, and their hope is pinned on, 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 on that business. But if we understand who we are, people of God, people of the kingdom, if we understand who our king is, and the radical different message that he had, and the radically different kind of king he was, and the radically different kind of kingdom people we are to be, then our hope will not be based on what comes and goes and policies and laws voted in and presidents voted in and presidents impeached. Our, our hope has nothing to do with that. Our hope is to be founded, praise God, on one source and one source only, and that is the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Nothing else. Because the Bible says that the kingdoms of this world come and go, but the kingdom of God lasts forever. Praise God. And our focus is to be on what is eternal, working for the conquest of the world, the subversion of all world systems under the headship of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything, get this in mind, everything. The world doesn't want to hear this. Everything. A lot of people don't want to hear this. Everything about this world comes to an end. I don't care how relatively good or relatively bad it is, how relatively fair or unfair it is, how just or unjust it is, it's going to come to an end. If it's not part of the kingdom of God, it comes to the end. Democrats, it's going to come to an end. Sorry. Republicans, it's going to come to an end. Libertarians, maybe you got a couple of those floating around here. It's going to come to an end. Socialists, any commies around here? Yeah, well, that's going to come to an end too. It all comes to an end. And when it comes to an end, you know what, it, what, what happens with Saddam Hussein and Clinton and Congress and Senate and the whole kit and caboodle, it's not really going to matter when it's all delivered. Revelations chapter eleven fifteen says, delivered up to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the kingdom that we are to be about, you see, it's solid. It lasts forever because it's not based on this person's idea or that person's idea or this program or that program or the, the relatively good or the relatively bad characters of people. It's based on the one who the Bible says is the Son of God, the baby born in the manger. It's based on the one who is the Word of life. We sang about him this morning. The one who's called the Lamb of God, the Word of God. I can't apply enough titles and attributes to this one. That is the foundation of the kingdom that we are about. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, His name shall be called Wonderful. He's Wonderful. Counselor. He's the Counselor. The Mighty God. Think about it. Amen? The Mighty God. The Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. Emmanuel. God with us. The Savior of the world. The Lamb of God. Uh, the Ruler of the Universe. The Master of the Universe. The Image. The Word. The Expression of God. It all is about Him. And His Kingdom is based on that. And all of our hope. And all of our dreams. All of our aspiration, what defines us to the core of the being has got to be about him and his kingdom. And not about this, that, or the other thing. His kingdom shall reign forever. And that has got less than nothing to do with whether or not Clinton gets impeached, with how the Senate's going to vote. Nothing to do with that. We're going along a totally different track altogether. When Jesus was born 2,000 years ago or so, Actually, it's about 2,004 years now. And when he lived, and when he died, and when he rose again, a seed was planted in this world that hadn't been planted before. And it was the seed of the kingdom of God. There was a, a, the, the, uh, there's the seed of new life. It was the seed of the new human race. It is the thing that's going to subvert everything and ultimately transform the world into the way God wants it to be. And spread to his disciples, and through his disciples began to spread to others, and it's been spreading throughout this world ever since, okay? It's, it's the mustard seed that's planted in the garden, and it gradually, secretly, inconspicuously, and unnoticeably uh, uh, it just keeps on going on and on, because it goes not with loud trumpets and sounding missiles and bombs and whatever. It goes in the hearts of individuals who say yes. Every person who says yes, boom, the seed grows a little bit more. And it spreads secretly throughout the whole world, and it's been going for 2,000 years, laying the groundwork for the kingdom that the Lord wants and will finally establish and manifest when he comes back down to earth. It's the little leaven that leavens the whole lump. It's the wheat that's growing up alongside of the tares, as Jesus taught us in Matthew 13. And sometimes it's hard to tell the wheat from the tares, and it's hard to tell, you know, what's what. But there'll come a time, the Bible tells us, when he'll return, he'll separate the wheat and the tares, and then it will be obvious how far the kingdom has grown and how different his kingdom is meant to be. His kingdom is coming, praise God. Amen. His kingdom is coming. Yes. My Jewish friend asked, where's the peace? And my answer to him and my answer to you this morning is twofold. It's in my heart. The kingdom is growing there. I know what he was talking about. And it's coming in the future. It's not of this age. It's not about this world order. He didn't come to tweak the political systems. He came to overthrow them. And if they're being under, uh, overthrown like moles, uh, you know, this is a weird analogy. It just came to me. I didn't prepare this one, so I'm not sure how it's going to come out. But follow me. <laughs> You know, do you ever have any, we've got a yard full of moles. The moles are always, you know, like going underground. You know, you can't see them. That's what I hate about it. You can't see them. But all of a sudden you step and your foot sinks in the ground. Because they're subversives. <laughs> they're subversives. Okay? The kingdom of God. <laughs> Lord, you've got to give me better analogies. Come on now. I, I prayed all last night and you didn't. You could. It works though. We are undermining. We are subverting the whole system. But the system goes on without giving any recognition to it. But it's, it's, it's eating away at the basis of things. 
praise God, and his kingdom shall come. Where's the peace? It's in my heart, and it's coming. The kingdom is coming. And the promise of the word of God, it was so certain that they could speak about it as a done deal even when Jesus was first born. The promise of the word of God is that there's coming a time, praise God, when all that the angel proclaimed, and all that Mary proclaimed, and all that Jesus proclaimed throughout his life will come to pass. God wins, the enemy loses, the kingdom is going to be set up here, praise God. And when it does, then there will be no more hunger, like the Lord said. There will be no more wars. There will be no more sex scandals, praise God. There will be no more ruthless leaders and rulers. There will be no more political murders going on, praise God. The world will line up with the way God has always wanted it to be. We're on our way there, but his kingdom is not of this age. It goes along a totally different track. Kingdom people. Hear me on this, and this is, about, this is about Christmas. There is always going to be an attempt to co-opt the incredibly unique, distinct, and different message that Jesus is about to co-opt that with the world. They wanted to make Jesus a cultural Messiah, and today they're still trying to make Jesus into cultural Christianity. A kind of a nice, sweet, cute veneer that has got very, very little to do with the original thing, but there's an echo, and it serves this important purpose to the enemy— it gives everyone to think that they don't need the real thing because they've got this, but all it is is an echo. The culture wants to co-opt the radical, distinct message of the gospel. Like they wanted to co-opt Jesus into their thing. Do not let it happen. This season more than ever, we live... I, I, let me just say, I don't mean to... You can disagree with me if you want, but, but, but you're wrong if you do. Um, <laughs> we live, friends, you got, you know... The idea that, a, that America is a Christian nation is a myth. It's got an echo of Christianity, but it's not a Christian nation, okay? There are some godly principles that it was based on, uh, but that's because deism was an offshoot of, uh, of Christianity. So yeah, it's got a semblance of it, but our culture is fundamentally pagan. The, the assumptions that people make is fundamentally pagan. We've got to understand that. And, and know that what we have going on to a large degree around Christmas time is that the gospel message of a radically distinct king with a radically distinct mission building a radically distinct kingdom with radically distinct people gets watered down all over the place. And Christianity gets transformed into a nice, cute, sweet thing that you can, that's just a footnote to everything else that you're about. It gets co-opted into the agenda of the world. Do not let that happen in your life. Do not let that happen in your life. No. That the power of Christ is found in, the, in, in his radical distinctness from Pilate. He lets himself get crucified by Pilate, and that shows how radically distinct he is from Pilate and from all the systems of this world. The way that Christ was distinct, the way he was unlike every king of this world, is how he shows forth his power and how he builds his radically distinct kingdom. And so also we, the people of God, are called to live and think and have in our hearts radically different assumptions than the ones that this world operates. Don't get co-opted. Don't, don't let the enemy make Christianity a footnote to the agenda of your life. Make your agenda, Christianity, and everything else a footnote to your life. Amen? We are to march to a totally different drummer. Norm and Greg, can I can come up here? I want to end with, with, with one song. As, uh, Norman, Norm, you guys here? Oh, there you go. Uh, I'm going to do all, come all, all you faithful, all the faithful, all the people of God, and we're going to worship the Lord. Let me end with this. I, I, a little quote. It's a great quote. I read it this week. It's by a cardinal, um, and not a bird cardinal, but a, a Catholic cardinal. Um, and I forget his name. But the quote is great. Listen to this. Cardinal Ratzer or Ratzinger or something like that. Um, Live in such a way that your life makes absolutely no sense without God. You see, and it ought to be that the people who don't know, don't know God, when they look at you, they're, they're scratching their head. 
Because the only thing that could make sense out of the way you talk and the way you are praying for people at five in the morning and the way that you love your enemies and whatever, the only thing that could possibly make sense out of that is if, in fact, the kingdom is true and Jesus Christ is for real and God makes sense. Subtract Jesus Christ from your life and you are a, a lunatic. Uh, that, that's how it ought to be, praise God. And by being radically distinct, that's, as Jesus did, that's what sends the message of what the true gospel is really about. Let's come and worship Christ the Lord who was born on Christmas morn, knowing what it was really about.